Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. If you missed this service, we hope to see you this Sunday at either 8.45 a.m. for our praise and worship service or 11 a.m. for our traditional service. Now, here's this week's message. Today we are continuing our Believe series. Remember, for 10 weeks we've been going through, well, not 10 weeks, for 10 weeks at a total, we're going through the core beliefs of the Christian faith, and today we are on week six. So the first five weeks, we've talked about your relationship to God. The, the core beliefs or the core ideas, the things that we've talked about really have to do with you and God. So we looked at there's a triune true God. Remember that? We looked at there's a personal God. We looked at salvation by grace. We looked at God's word. And we looked at our identity being found in Christ. And while we've talked about all of these things independently, and we've made the case that separately they're very important, what we have been doing is laying the foundation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you bring those five beliefs together, you get a beautiful picture of what we call the gospel. Let me just kind of quickly summarize it for you. That there's a true triune God who's created everything. Specifically, he created humans to be his image bearers on this earth. And we shared a special relationship with him because he's a personal, excuse me, a special personal relationship with him. But humans broke that relationship because of sin and bringing death and destruction into this world. And out of his sheer grace and love for us, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, both Lord and Messiah, he has brought salvation to us all. And God has revealed himself in his redemptive plan through the scripture. And our worth and value is now found in Jesus Christ. And we are his children, and we can walk boldly with him. You see, everything, that's why we believe this series is very important to do. Everything in this series has been laying the groundwork and the foundational beliefs for what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's when we embrace the gospel and understand it fully, can we then see what it causes you and I to do, which is go out and be a part of what God is doing in this world. N.T. Wright puts the gospel this way. He says, The gospel is the royal announcement that the crucified, risen Jesus, who died for our sins and rose again according to the scriptures, has been enthroned as the true Lord of the world. When the, when he, say, he continues, When this gospel is preached, God calls people to salvation out of sheer grace, leading them to repentance and faith. And Jesus Christ as the risen Lord. Scholar Michael Bird puts it this way. He says, The gospel is the announcement of God's kingdom has come in life and death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord and Messiah, and fulfillment of Israel's scriptures. The gospel invokes faith, repentance, and discipleship. Its accompanying effects include salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit. What I want you to see there is that the gospel invokes a response. The gospel is the starting point for our faith. 
The gospel is the good news of Jesus, and it's what starts us into this relationship with God. But the gospel then unlocks everything else we do that has to do with our faith and our practice. What's so important to understand is while each and every one of us are called to make a personal profession of Jesus Christ, but then the gospel forces us to come together as a community so we can live out and spread this gospel. And so now that we've talked about the core beliefs and, and we've brought the gospel together, and we're, we're going to start using that word, and you say, Brian, what's the gospel? We, we just talked about it. Those ideas, everything we've talked about for five weeks, th those are the theological ideas, and we bring them together. We hear the message of Jesus and what God has done through him. But so now we're going to take what the gospel is and what we believe and now see what the gospel causes us to do with others. This is the one another part of the gospel, which brings us to our key belief this morning. And our key belief is that the church, the church is God's primary way to accomplish his purpose on the earth. That the church is God's primary way to accomplish his purpose on the earth. And so what is a church? I got a really good definition. Here's what they say. He says, a local assembly of believers as well as all redeemed of all ages who follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I'm going to teach you two things here many of you probably already know. First, we have what's called the Universal Church. It's called the Capital C Church, if you will. It, it's composed of all believers of all times throughout history and throughout time. So when we're talking about the Universal Church, the big church, we're talking about all believers in Christ. Many times, especially in Ephesians, when the Bible writers are writing, they're talking about that Christ died for the church. They're not talking about Christ just died for this local church. It's that Christ died for the church, the capital C, all those in Christ. The church is simply the people who are living under the rule of God, and, and we gather together. So we have what's called the, the big church, the universal church, that all believers of all times but then we have what's called the local church, and that's what we are here at First Baptist Church Conway. And this is an expression of the bigger church. This is our expression, and we gather together to carry out the purposes of God. That's why we see when Paul writes letters, he writes church to the church in Ephesians, or the church in Corinth. He's writing to specific groups, but when he's talking about the big ideas that Christ died for us, he's not talking about just them. He's talking about all believers of all times, everywhere. And the best way to understand what the church is, the, is to look at some biblical examples and some images that it gives. And there's several, but we're just going to look at two this morning. First, the church, well, the Bible says we are the people of God. You ever heard that before? That the church is the people of God. Paul takes an Old Testament principle, you've probably heard it, and he applies it to those in Christ. He says this, he says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, in the Old Testament, we see that God formed a nation to himself. Remember, he came to Abraham and said, hey, I'm going to do something through you. He made a covenant with this man, and through him an entire nation came from it that God said, these are going to be my people. I will be with them. And, and throughout the Old Testament, we see their story. 
We see how God constantly called them as his people to be his people, to respond to him properly. And now Paul takes that same idea of being the people of God and he applies it to all of those in Christ. Remember last week we talked about it, that in Christ we're the people of God, our identity is found in him. And so now all people are welcome to what we call the people of God, all of those in Christ. It's as if Paul has taken Israel, right? Remember the people of God, Israel, remember that? He's expanded it and opened it, where all people are now welcome in that. This one group, this one people under Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Galatians 3, 26, he starts there and says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, nor is there male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what Paul is doing, those of you who've been through the story with us and you learned about Abraham and this covenant, Paul is taking what Christ has done and attaching it all the way back to Genesis. All the way back to that promise that, Abra- that God made to Abraham, this covenant that was going to happen, this, how he was going to bless the world through him. He attaches what Jesus has done all the way back to that. And so what we have to understand is the church, and you know this, the church isn't just a social gathering. It's not a thing we do just to come meet our friends and just hang out. First and foremost, the church, we are the people of God. And all of us are brought into the church through our faith in Jesus Christ. Peter says in Acts 4.12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind which we must be saved. And so this idea of the church, of us being the people of God, we have to understand the way we get into this people of God, this community, the way we are put into the church in Christ is through the gospel. It's through the message of salvation found in Jesus Christ. In other words, we could say we are a gospel community because that's the first thing we all have. That's the thing we all have in common. The way we are a part of the church is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the gospel brings us together into community. And we're community who is continually being transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we are the body, excuse me, we are the people of God. And next up, I just told you, we are the body of Christ. Paul says it like this. He says, and God placed all things under his feet, and being Jesus, who appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There's another version. It's a, <clears throat> called the message, um, and, and the author puts it like this. He says, he is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body, which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. That's not a translation. That's a paraphrase, but I really love how the author talks about that. 
You see, the church as the body of Christ, what that means is we are his representatives. He is the head, meaning he's in charge. He's the one who rules this body because he is the one who died for us to get in it. And, and our churches, this is important, we are in our own body, which means, all right, well, let's just do what we want. Let's think about what we want. Let's just kind of, we got our own thing, our own way. The church is the representatives of Jesus Christ on this earth. The church are the representatives of Jesus Christ. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. You see, the church, well, we're the people of God, meaning we're owned by somebody. We're the people of God. And we are to continue on the ministry of Christ. That's what it means to be the body of him, his representatives. We are his. So the church is not about us. The church is about him. Do we know that? The church is about him. We are his people who are continuing his work. One author puts it this way. He says, the New Testament understands church to refer to the visible expression of the gathered followers of Jesus Christ who have been grafted into a community created by God under the banner of Jesus Christ embodying in an anticipatory way of the life and values of the new creation. You see, that's why the core belief in, that's why we can claim that the church, us, the church, is God's primary way to accomplishing his purpose on this earth. And that's a really big deal, meaning what God is trying to do in this world he uses us. I'm going to make a pretty bold statement. You've probably heard it before. Because the church, the church is the hope of the world. You say, well, Brian, that might be going too far. Well, well, is it? The church carries the gospel. The Bible tells us we are the ambassadors. We are the stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel doesn't fall out of the sky. The gospel is preached, the gospel is taught, and the gospel is demonstrated. You see, the hope of the world is not the government. Have we figured that out by now? Some of y'all might not have. I'm just letting you know. The hope is not, it doesn't matter who you elect for president, they are not the hope of the world. But as societies do, we start thinking about things that are going to make the world a better place. And so we said, oh, well, if we just get the government right, that'll make it better. Well, no, it's not the government. It's business. If, if we get businesses right, people have jobs, the economy goes better, people have more money, right? Businesses are the hope of the world. Well, no, it, no, it's not that. It's medicine, right? If we have better medicine and people feel better and feel happier, you know, that's, that's really the hope. No, it's actually education. If we educate people more, then they can get better jobs, then they can go into those other fields. So really, education is the hope. And so on and so on. You get the point. The church is the hope of the world. All of those other things will fall 
short. And we know that. The church is what God is building, what Christ is building on this earth. And we are his stewards. Look at what he says about his church. Maybe you've seen this before. We're going to jump right into the middle of a conversation Jesus is having with Peter. Peter just declares that Jesus is the Messiah. It took him quite a long time. But he finally declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited one. And so Peter declares who Jesus is. So Jesus says, well, Peter, this is who you are. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. This whole church thing was his idea. He's the one in the business of building it. And we get to join him in that effort. But look at what he says, this next part. It's so amazing. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You see, Hades or hell is another way to refer to Satan's domain. And Jesus is saying that the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, Satan's domain, evil, will not stop the church. If you've ever seen an old movie, oh, something like back in like the Roman days, you know, the old where they actually use swords instead of guns. You ever watch like those old movies like Troy, stuff like that? Yeah, I, I like them, sorry. But what are gates used for? Yeah, gates are to keep you out. It's to protect the people in, to keep people out. Gates aren't wielded as a weapon. So a lot of times we read this and we're like, oh, you know, the church is on, on defense. We're getting attacked. That's not what they're saying. What Jesus is saying is that the gates of Hades will not overcome the church. The church is supposed to be active and moving. The church is to be advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is supposed to be doing things in this world with the gospel. And he says nothing. Nothing will stop it. Nothing will stop these advances. See, the church, the church is the hope of the world. Not what we can do, but because of what he can do through us. Because we are the ones who are claiming to be the people of God with the saving message from God. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So many other people have competing messages saying, this is going to save you, this is going to redeem you, this is going to help you. And the church says, no. It's the gospel. That's where we start. The gospel. And if we were to bring all of this together, we would see the church being described as the people of God. A community who is transformed by the gospel. The body of Christ. A community driven by the gospel who is carrying the message in the ministries of Jesus. And we see we, the church, the hope of the world, that God has called us and commissioned us to make His love known. You see, the gospel, the gospel is not about us. The gospel invokes a response from us. 
But the gospel is not about us. The gospel is about God doing something through Jesus Christ. The gospel is about what God has done in Christ. And that message will drive you and I in three directions if we allow it and if we embrace it. The gospel will drive us to pursue intimacy with God because it's through Jesus that we can know him and have a relationship and be redeemed by him. The gospel will cause us to repent all the time. Did you know the Christian life isn't just about repenting to get in? The Christian life is a life of repenting in light of who Jesus is and what he has done. The gospel should continually work on us and work through us. Because the gospel will not only save your soul, the gospel will save your marriage. It will save your friendships. It will save your finances. The gospel will save every single thing that makes you human. The gospel will redeem and restore it. The gospel is about every aspect of us. And the gospel will then drive us into community. It will call us to come together. Because for one, he tells us to. He says he's building this gathering. Under Jesus, the gospel will call us to come together, to grow together, to take care of each other, to carry our burdens. We call this discipleship, where we are individually growing to be more like Jesus Christ. But it's in the gospel we have a new family, we have new community, we have new friends. We have these new people we can be with. And the gospel drives us to share the message. Because the gospel offers the only hope. This world is hopeless. We have tried through military efforts or medical efforts or technological efforts or academia efforts or government efforts, all of these efforts to make it a better place. It's not working. The answer and will always be the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what will make the world a better place. Because it's through the gospel we are told to love. And it defines love. The gospel is the message of what God has done in the world through Jesus. And it summons you and I to pursue God and his great love for us. It calls us to pursue others like us. To grow in fellowship together. And it causes us to tell others about the gospel. In other words, the gospel drives us to love God and loves others. And I am fully convinced that every church must be gospel-driven. Christ is at the center of that. You and I individually should become more like Christ. But as a collective body of believers, the gospel should drive everything we do. Because it will drive us again. I'm going to start repeating myself. The gospel will drive us into a deeper relationship with God. It will drive us into deeper relationships with each other. And it will drive us to take an active role in sharing the gospel in the community. Because the gospel... The church, we're the hope of the world. 
Because the church of God, primary way, God's primary way to accomplish his purposes on this earth. And so what are our next steps? It's going to be simple. Many of you already do this, and I'm excited about that. Number one, commit to the gospel. John 3, 16 through 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you accepted that you're broken and a sinner and in need redemption from a Savior? Have you committed to the gospel? I'm not asking if your mom went to church, if your dad went to church, if they were deacons, if they were teachings, if they started the church. Have you personally submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and asked for forgiveness? Because if you have, the gospel will then push you to community with other people. So next is be committed to a local church. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see as the day approaching. Our faith was never meant to be left alone meant to live alone. Our faith has always been meant to live in community with others. And you know, maybe you've said it, I've said, well, I can be a Christian. I don't really need the church. That is untrue. You have not allowed the gospel to truly invade your life. You have not really been, maybe you've been transformed because of salvation, but not the whole message because God calls us into community to come together, to work together. He has called each and every one of us to do that. All of us need each other. None of us can go out this life alone. And he tells us not to give up meeting. Just continue to do it when life gets hard, when life is tough. You should come here to be encouraged, to be equipped or to encourage others. Maybe not for you, maybe for somebody else to speak life into their world. And so commit to it. And remember, when you're committing to a local church, you're not committing to a building. You're committing to a group of people. You're committing to them, and they are committing to you. Saying, I will be there with you, and you'll be there with me, and we're going to come together to walk through this life together. We don't commit to people. We don't just commit to pastors. We commit to each other. And when we do that, you watch what the church can do. So you commit to the gospel. You commit to a local church. And then be involved in your local church. 1 Peter 4.10, you should have this memorized by now. You probably hear this almost every week. It says, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Each and every one of you have been gifted to serve other people. Each of you has something to offer this church, and we need you. So what we ask and what we believe the gospel calls us to, because if God's primary way to work on this earth is through the church, then you and I are called to serve the church to make that happen. You're not just serving us, although you're serving each other. You're serving the Lord 
and his purposes. It's not about us. It's not about what we need. It's not about what we want. It's about him. And when we serve him, he is faithful and smart enough to then give us what we need. Do we understand that? When we let go of self, when we die to self and serve him, he will then provide what we need. So be involved. And then pray. Pray for your local church. Pray for your pastors. Pray for the staff. Pray for the deacons. Pray for the Sunday school teachers. Pray. And ask God to use this church and to bless this church for his glory. I can't imagine what would happen if we had a couple hundred people seeking God and asking him to use this church for his glory. Look at this verse. Jesus says in Matthew 9, 36 through 38. It says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That breaks my heart. Jesus is saying the harvest, people are ready, people are ready to be responsive, people are ready to receive. The harvest is plentiful, he says, but the workers are few. So the problem isn't that, well, people aren't ready to receive the gospel, that they're not spiritual enough, that they're not interested. The problem isn't about you not knowing enough or not being smart enough or not knowing about Bible. That's, that's not the problem. The gospel is still effective. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so will we pray that the Lord will send us out? Will we pray that the Lord will use us? Will we pray that he will bring people up into this church to serve him? Will you pray for our church? Because we believe the church is God's primary way to accomplish his purposes on this earth. So commit to the gospel, commit to a church, serve your church, and pray for it. And if it's not here somewhere, but be all in. The church is a pretty big deal. We're joining with what Jesus is building on this earth. So be all in. You see, because we are, I'm going to repeat myself, but you'll see why in a second. Just stay with me. Because we are the people of God. It's not up there, I'm sorry. A community transformed by the gospel. Do we understand that? We are the body of Christ. A community driven by the gospel. Who is carrying the message and the ministry of Jesus into this world. Because we are the hope of the world. God has called us and commissioned us to make his love known. And I firmly believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that God is calling us at First Baptist Church to be this kind of church. I firmly believe he's calling us to be a gospel-driven community, making God's love known. A gospel-driven community, making God's love known. And I don't say this lightly. It takes a while for me to come to a conclusion, but once I do, I do. I'm fully convinced this is what he's asking us to do and who he's asking us to be. It means gospel-driven answers our identity. Who are we? 
What kind of church are we? A gospel-driven church, which means the gospel must drive everything we do with the church. Not our history, although I'm glad and I'm excited that we have it. The church as a whole has about 2,000 years of history. That's amazing. Our local church has about 150. It's pretty amazing. But the gospel must drive what we do. Not our preferences. The gospel must drive what we do. Not our personal feelings. The gospel must drive what we do. When we allow the gospel to drive everything we do, God will then provide the needs that we never even knew we had. God will minister to us like we can, couldn't imagine. The gospel must lead our church. It must drive us to make God's love known. Could you imagine if we embraced that? It answers who are we becoming? What's our identity, a gospel-driven church? It'll push us in three directions. We talked about that. And then what are we going to be known for? I mean, what are we going to be doing? Making God's love known. Because isn't that what the world needs? To know the love of God? And that can take all sorts of different things, and it'll be very fun to figure out what those are. Because as people who've experienced life changed by the gospel, we then want others to experience the life change that comes with the gospel. You see, well, Brian, you know, if, if, does that mean I gotta like tell people about Jesus? I mean, does that mean I'm supposed to like hand bottles of water out? I mean, that, that's kind of nerve wracking. Hey, listen, I understand that. I'll never ask you to knock on a door. Don't worry about that. But I am gonna ask you to be doing things in this community. To be a part of the things we want to do in the community. And if it gets a little uncomfortable, if it gets a little nerve-wracking, I said, I ask you to remember what we're celebrating today. Remember the cross. What does Jesus ask us to do? If anyone wants to come after me, you must deny yourself. If we would get the deny yourself part, deny ourselves of selfish wants, needs, if we deny ourselves and took up our cross, you'd be amazed at what the church can do. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather hand out a bottle of water than down a cross. How about it? But church, we're going to start doing a lot of things. Not to be busy, but to be gospel driven. Because we really believe the gospel is the hope of the world. We really believe it will make the difference. That is the difference it will make in everybody's life. The gospel. And so today we're going to take communion, and it's such a good time because it's the gospel that reminds us. This, what Jesus did on the cross, dying for our sins on a cross, shedding his blood for you and I, the broken body, the gospel is then what brings us into fellowship with God. But it's what unites us together as a church. We're united around Christ. And Paul tells us before we come to the table and we, we partake in these elements, we have to examine ourselves. And so the way I want to talk about this morning is I want you to just examine yourself and your life with the gospel. First, do you believe it? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Do you, do you pursue that intimacy with God? I hope your answer is yes. If not, I will be up here and I'd love to talk with you as long as you need. 
But secondly, has the gospel driven you to form a community of people where you are being discipled and discipling others? But then has the gospel driven you to share it? To tell other people that Jesus really is the answer. And this is nowhere by any means supposed to make you feel bad. We are all covered by the blood of Christ. We all need his grace. But now that we have laid a firm foundation for the gospel, first going through the story to see it, now taking five weeks to understand those terms, now we're going to start talking about it a lot. Because the gospel must drive us. So before we come to the table, I ask you to examine your heart. To confess what you need to confess to. Talk with the Lord. Get yourself right before coming to the table. So we're going to take a moment of silence. I'll close this in prayer. Then we'll come together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today knowing that you are faithful and will forgive us of all of our sins if we confess them to you. We thank you that through Jesus Christ, his death, that we have the forgiveness of sins and we thank you so much for the resurrection which ushered in a new life, a new creation that we, as children of God, are a part of. Father, as we come to this table today, we thank you so much for the great love of Jesus, your great love for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.